Men's Alliance is a growing movement of tribes meeting weekly for a rugged outdoor workout and a real-world devotion around a fire. We're flipping tires, swinging sledgehammers, talking about real struggles, and getting pushed physically and spiritually to become the husbands, fathers, and leaders God designed us to be. We'll get you out of isolation, out of your comfort zone, and into something tribal, rugged, and real. Welcome to the Men's Alliance Podcast. I'm Dave Mills, call sign Goose. Dusty Parker, call sign Shadow. Steve Radabaugh, call sign Panda. All right, Panda, glad to have you with us today. Um, Panda was just at our Tribe Launch training event this past Saturday. Wasn't your first one by any means. Uh, You've been to Alpha a couple times, but uh, cool to have you out there getting ready to launch at Hope Church um, in a couple months and getting some good training. Just got that call sign, and um, we had a big Saturday. We had 20 men from 11 different churches wow. uh, out there getting trained, plus like a whole host. We had about 15, 15, 20 other tribesmen helping out, leading stuff, cooking. From whereabouts? Cooking meat. Where, where are the churches? A um, lot from Virginia, um, Petersburg. Okay. Chesterfield, we had two guys came down from Maryland, and we had two guys came over from Tennessee, oh, wow. Kingsport, Tennessee. Um, going to be starting Whiskey Tribe out there pretty soon. Nice. If you're in the uh, the Bristol, um, Johnson City, Tri-City area, uh, that's coming out there pretty soon. And then uh, a couple other, father-son came from uh, uh, Southwest Virginia. Okay. So really good group from kind of north of us, south of us, and uh, and west of us. And same day, we launched Columbia Tribe in Hermiston, Oregon. Wow. So big shout out to Columbia Tribe um, out there. Ian Enriquez, great job. Saw your pictures. Like you had an awesome group out there. Cool sunrise pictures. The landscape in Oregon Looked looked very different. Yeah. Looks like a men's alliance on a different planet. So how many tribes do we have now? I uh, lost count at like twenty two. <laughs> right now, yeah. Well, as of today, there's thirty five. Wow, thirty five. But um, we're gonna hit sixty by fall. <laughs> so that's great. Really exciting. And um, so you know, uh, Panda, you you said something Saturday during one of the devotions that was just so good, so on point that I was just like, we got to do a podcast on that. <laughs> here, here we are. Yep. Here we are. <laughs> well, it's good to have you here. Thanks Thank for you. coming. And, um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about what God's put on your heart, uh, to share about, um, your thoughts about the mission of MA. Yeah. I just think the, uh, the mission of MA and, and what we talked about on Saturday was really about the great commission. Uh, Jesus Christ, his, his words to his disciples were, go forth to all the nations and make disciples. He didn't say, go have rallies. He didn't say, go uh, have altar calls. He didn't say, go just share my, share my word. He said, make disciples. And as I was sitting around the mm-hmm. fire, looking at the men, looking at the men, admonishing one another, discipling one another, I thought, that's it. That's, that's, that we are doing the Great Commission here around this fire. And that was, uh, that's what God laid on my heart there. So good. That's, a, that's our time. That's it. 
<laughs> Thanks for joining us today. Man, that is what such a mic drop because man, just hearing you say that, honestly, it's like a it's like a, a battle cry, right? It yeah. it fires me up. Everybody's doing excitement. Everybody's yeah. doing entertainment. Entertainment, big production, get pumped, get hyped, celebrity speakers. Um, and that's all great. I think as Christian men, we need that sometimes. Um, but that ain't discipleship. Right. Yeah. And, you know, as we look at our culture and we look at the needs of our culture, I think uh, a lot of us would say in America, Christianity seems to be losing some cultural footing. Uh, it mm -hmm. seems like Christianity isn't in the position of cultural influence that it was. And we look at the world and and it's what is replacing it? What's replacing Christianity? And And I think a lot of people wouldn't say this overtly. But I think what we're seeing fill the gap for men who were created with eternity in their hearts, what we're seeing take the place of the influence of Christianity is, is really paganism. We're seeing mm -hmm. a, a, a move towards paganism with the environment, environmental movement and the worship, almost worship of nature. Yep. Mm -hmm. We're seeing this uh, move towards anything goes in terms of what's, what's right, what's always been just natural. You do uh, you. You do you. And we're yep. seeing this kind of em embrace of paganism. And you know what God's been laying on my heart is, well, how do we push back as the church? Um, if we look back in history, if we look back at the way the saints who've gone before us really obliterated paganism, I mean, just completely wiped it off the map in Europe, we can look back at history. We can look back at what the saints did before. How did they do that? They did that through discipleship in the form of education. They were educating and discipling other believers and, and pushing paganism to the, to the margins. Uh, Hebrews 12 verse one says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin, which clings so closely and let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us. When I read that, I think about looking backwards at the cloud of witnesses, the saints who've gone before us and who, who did the work of pushing paganism out of Europe, yeah. how they did that um, through education. And we can hopefully get into some stories of who some of those men were and what they did. Um, that really, uh, I think, as fathers, as husbands, as we take this, these stories and these, these uh, examples of Christian mm -hmm. discipleship and witness to our children and to our families, I think it, you know, C.S. Lewis said, we create men without chests and expect them to, uh, to bear fruit, essentially, mm -hmm. um, in the abolition of man. Well, by telling these stories, we and in, in uh, putting this this faithfulness in our children, we're building chests in our children to push back and and yeah. in other men as well as we courage. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, courage. Man, that's so good. I love that quote by by Lewis. Um, you, you're talking about paganism, and I think like we get so used to hearing some words especially in Christian circles, right? In Christianese. And, and then when we hear one that's new, mm -hmm. it jumps out. It kind of wakes us up. I bet you if you were listening to this podcast and you were kind of zoning out as you're driving or something, and then you heard paganism, you like paid attention real quick. You're like, wait, <laughs> what are they talking about? Right? Like it's one of those words. It catches you. Yeah. And I think we need to be talking more about it because it's, absolutely what's happening and you think about what's 
um, what's popular and trendy to really, really um, advocate for, even obsess about, it's the environment. Yeah. Right? Like, you can talk all you want about the environment and about trees and whales and owls, but you cannot talk about Jesus Christ. And just hearing you say that, I just turned here to um, Romans chapter one, which is like my favorite chapter in the Bible. And, you know, it says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. Yeah. Right. And this is, this is so ancient. This goes back to the Egyptians, right? Uh, Worship in the sun, cats, frogs, right? Everything except for the person who made it. And we're, we're right back there. It's nothing new. No, exactly. Nothing new under the sun. Yeah. So tell us a little bit as you and I were communicating between Saturday and now you have got some, some great knowledge um, to share with us about some of these men that you were alluding to Mm -hmm. in the earlier Christian traditions of Europe. Share with us some of these that really stand out to you and inspire you. Yeah, I think uh, just starting with maybe St. Patrick, you know, well-known in terms of the name, mm-hmm. maybe not so well-known in terms of who was this guy, St. Patrick. We have a holiday. We celebrate it every year in different ways. But, but who was the man behind this holiday, this celebration? Um, a lot of people don't know St. Patrick wasn't, I- wasn't Irish. Um, he was just an Irish man who liked to drink, right? <laughs> That's what I thought. Yep, exactly. So no, he was uh, actually a Roman Briton. He lived on the western coast of what is now Wales. Um, he was in a in a really upper class family, um, and was raised in a Christian home, uh, but pushing back and rebelling against this Christian education and life that he had. Um, when he was about sixteen years old, he was out at the beach. Uh, some Irish raiders arrived at the beach and kidnapped him and along with around 200 other people from his village and took him to Ireland. Did you say a time frame that we're talking about here? Uh, It's about uh, four late mid to late 400s. Oh, okay. uh, Early 500s AD. Okay. Um, So here's this guy, uh, 16 years old, rebellious teen uh, gets taken over to Ireland, but, and as he's a a slave in Ireland, uh, he's a shepherd. That's his job. He is forced out into the fields with these sheep. Uh, spends obviously so he's spending a lot of time alone and as he's spending this time alone he's reflecting on the catechisms the education that he received as a kid and begins to call out to god and develops a real faith and a real awareness of who is god and a real personal relationship with this god that he knew as a kid fast forward a few years into this life that he had one night he has a vision and in the vision god tells him go to the seashore it's about the distance is probably about from here to virginia beach on foot in hostile country, right? go to the seashore, get on a boat, and there's, there's a boat waiting for you there. So he's faithful. He, he knows it's the voice of God calling him to, to flee. So he, gets, he makes the trek to seashore, dangerous journey, gets down there, uh, finds the boat, and escapes. He escapes from Ireland, uh, goes on a kind of a really amazing journey. About two years after he leaves, he gets home, uh, arrives to his house, and uh, could be the end of the story. He gets back to comfort. He gets back to this life in an upper middle class family uh, back in the Britain, back in Britain in the uh, shelter and protection of the Roman Empire. 
And he's there for a little while. And one night he has a dream. And in his dream, it's the Irish people calling to him, come back and preach the gospel to us. Mm. And it reminds me of, I think it was Acts 6, where Paul has a dream of the Macedonians calling to him, come to us and share the gospel. Well, you know, can, can you imagine? So here's Patrick. He finally gets home. His parents are so happy to hear him. And he says, hey, mom and dad, <laughs> I've got a calling from the Lord to go back to this, to this land. And this wasn't, right. I mean, this was a pagan, very dark land yeah. where he had served, he had been a slave. And so he gets called back. He goes to Ireland uh, and, you know, the rest is history. He shares the gospel. He pushes paganism out of that land. Probably the most important part of that, though, you know, it wasn't just Ireland that was saved. There's a book by Thomas Cahill called How the Irish Saved Civilization. So Patrick goes, he establishes these monasteries. He starts educating these monks. He teaches them to read. He teaches them to write. He teaches them to scribe and to copy books. About two years after Patrick dies, uh, the Roman Empire falls. And when the Roman Empire falls, the Dark Ages come into Europe. A lot of the great works of literature, a lot of history is getting destroyed at this time. And as the Irish monks on the fringe of civilization way out there, you know, the end, kind of the end of the world at the mm -hmm. time. They are making copies of all these books. They're preserving what, you know, we have today wow. and saving civilization in that way. And that's really just the, the tip of the iceberg yeah. of the effect that this, this church had on, on where we are today. Man, you just wow. made me totally want to go learn more about St. Patrick. I know. Is there, yeah. a, is there a movie? <laughs> Should be. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know when the movie comes out. And I, will, I will buy a front row ticket. Uh, he, he was an awesome man and just a, a regular guy um, with a call and empowered by the Holy Spirit to go into this land and share the gospel. God met him there. Um, and, and as a result, we're here today, really. I mean, the, the impact of, of his life and the impact of his life on the Celtic church that impacted another famous or maybe more obscure St. Boniface, uh, is an incredible story of how we are here. His his work that he did in evangelizing Europe and really saving Europe from the invasion of the Muslims um, is a lot of why, well, the one of the reasons the church still exists. Share a little bit about Boniface. Yeah, so Boniface, about 200 years after Patrick, uh, Boniface was was raised in, he was uh, raised in Scotland and uh, he was a very well-educated man um in a very rough and rugged manly church the celtic church uh boniface's pastor every time he would get up to preach he would get up he would set aside his sword preach his sermon and then pick up his sword just in case any of his parishioners had umbrage with his sermon <laughs> yeah that's what i'm talking about <laughs> when uh when they would have uh church picnics once yeah. a month they would have church picnics yeah you remember in the movie braveheart how they're throwing those boulders at each other yep. oh yeah that's what the kids would do. They yeah. would, uh, that was their, their fun time was yeah. um, trying to crush each other with boulders. So this is, <laughs> yeah. this is a very rugged church and, uh, that's what he's raised in. Uh, but he's an exceptional student. The first 40 years of his life, he is living a quiet life, serving the church, visiting the sick, growing and just growing in his influence and, and knowledge of the word of God for 40 years. And so you think, okay, he's 40 years into this. He becomes a, he gets offered a bishop to be a bishop, you know, it's kind of like, this is your reward for mm -hmm. this faithful service, very comfortable, uh, offering. And, um, he responded to that offering with a quote. He said, I yearn to go forth where the dangers are not because I particularly enjoy those dangers, 
but because I know that it is there that the battle rages for the souls of men and nations. God, set me before the front lines. Let me not end my days in comfort and complacency. So he's our kind of guy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm 40 years old, ready to kind of get into the sweet season of life, the comfortable season of life. And he says, no, I want to go to the mission field. Mm -hmm. So he does. He goes out in the mission field, does the hard work um, in Germany. Uh, He disciples and and, uh, converts a man named Charles Martel. Charles Martel is also known as Charles the Hammer. And when I said earlier, the work that Patrick did really resonated and is Mm -hmm. why we're here today. Charles the Hammer is the one that fought the Muslims in the Pyrenees Mountains when they were invading Europe and stopped. They they conquered much of Spain. They were pushing up into Europe. He stopped them at the Pyrenees Mountains. And and his faith is what gave him the courage and strength to go and fight back. His Christian faith that, you know, if Boniface hadn't been there to disciple him, who knows if he would have had the strength and courage to go fight and push back the Muslim horde. So incredible legacy in life that he had. So... Was Boniface, was he influenced uh, directly or indirectly by Patrick? I, you know, I, I, the tie there is about, he's about 200 years later, but the, uh-huh. the church, this robust, strong uh, evangelistic church that was founded by Patrick and kind of culminated in the Isle of Iona, which is where was this missionary island that would send missionaries out. Mm-hmm. Um, that influence was, was what Boniface was raised in. Okay. So he definitely a direct so it kind of I came know. out of the school kind of that Patrick kind of helped found. Yes. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Okay. Man, that's amazing. And so you think about what we started off talking about, the Great Commission. And these were guys who they went deep. Yeah. Right. When they went somewhere, they weren't doing touch and goes. No. Right. No. They weren't they weren't going into town and uh putting on a putting on a uh conference right. for the weekend and then taking off to another town. Man, they were like we're going to stay here and live with you and and train you. That's right. Yeah. Teach you for for a while and pour into you. That's right. Yeah, and um they would found these schools and education was a big part of it. That was part of their missionary uh outreach and how their evangelistic outreach to a nation was to educate the people that lived there. Um I didn't mention Charles Martel, his grandson is Charlemagne. So Charlemagne mm-hmm. really helped bring Christendom into Europe uh and was a huge proponent of education and discipleship through these schools and, and through education. And so, you know, you just look at this influence and kind of the cascading influence of just men being uh, faithful to the call of God on their life yeah. and the impact that that had. And, and another thing about Patrick, he was kind of ostracized by the official church. So he's out in Ireland and there's a big, you can read about it in his confessions, but there's kind of a big swirl going on with some of his past sins that are being brought up. And so you think this man must have died sort of feeling like a failure in the world's eyes, right? Because the church is telling him he's on, he's off and uh, kind of rebuking him in a way. Um, so everything's against him, but God is for him. And he just keep, continues on with the mission that he's called to. And um, we see the impact that it had. Wow. I wonder if any of these guys uh, sat around a fire with other guys and talked about God. You know, I think it's cool that Men's Alliance could have been, you know, that 400 AD or whatever could have been doing the yep. exact same thing we're doing today. Cause yep. we, it's, we don't use any kind of technology or any kind of entertainment. Yeah. We work out, pick up stones 
and then sit around a fire, you know? You're absolutely right. And <laughs> so I, without a doubt, so these cool. guys definitely were sitting around a lot of fires for <laughs> right. their theology. Yeah, exactly. right. That was their only means of, of warmth. Right. Right. So I think that's just kind of neat to think about. That's so true. I love that. You know, one of the things that just jumps out at me is um, my desire to see men's alliance train men. Right. And so that's how we got on this topic mm-hmm. was talking about discipleship on our website. I'm looking at our uh, description on the website right now for the patched patched uh, membership in men's alliance. And we we call it rugged and unforgettable leadership and discipleship training. Right. And we want to make sure that every man who wears the men's alliance patch is both a leader and an ambassador for Christ. And to me, this is, this is without a doubt the most important thing we do in men's Alliance. This is why men's Alliance exists. It's the patch, right? Uh, people can see the workout. Yeah. They see the devote, uh, the devotion around the fire. Those are our visible tip of the iceberg elements, but really that's, that's just the visible part. And the, the real big important part is the discipleship training that we we bring men to first through the earning of the challenge coin and then the earning of the patch is this let's go deep let's train one on one with each man um it's amazing to me when you start asking guys guys who have been in church their whole lives and you ask them hey how do i become a christian and you'll get some stares and you'll get, Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, yeah. and guys are, you know, they're not accustomed to being able to do that, but you think, man, that's gotta be like, that's gotta be step one to be an ambassador. Mm-hmm. Right. This is, this is foundational. We're not even, we're not even going into some deep theological discussion, man. We're talking about first base. Mm-hmm. Right. And, I guarantee you by the end of a patch class, we've got guys very confidently sharing the gospel. Um, whereas, you know, just a few weeks earlier, maybe they they had never tried to do it out loud and they had never thought it through. And there's that process of learning how to articulate it is one thing. And then the second is being asked some some not so easy questions. Yeah. Being asked some common stuff that the world's going to ask. You try to share your faith with somebody expects some questions. That's right. Right. Even from a, from a very, um, you know, congenial welcoming audience, you can expect some questions. Well, yeah, they should ask questions. I mean, we're yeah. asking them to give their life. <laughs> That's right. This. It's not just, Hey, uh, come to this meeting. It's no, give your life to Christ. Yeah. I, I'd be I, worried if few... you didn't have questions. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so training men, how to answer these questions is what gives us confidence. Yeah. Right. I think back to and Shadow and I, we've talked about this in, in several episodes. Like um in our prior days in the military, like I kept my mouth shut a lot. I didn't speak up. And one of the main reasons was um I had no idea how to respond if I were to get asked anything back. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like I was like, man, what if they ask this? What if they bring up this? I don't know how to respond to any of that. And I don't want to look stupid, so I'm just not even going to start the conversation. I would just, when those things would happen, I would think to myself, all I can say is, well, I just believe it, you know? Yeah. Like, that's like, 
well, why do you think? I was like, I don't know. It's just faith. You just got to believe it. Yeah. And that was, it's just faith, man. You just got any question. You just got to believe it. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's like the ultimate. (laughs) Yeah. Just fall back position. Yeah. Just, you just got to believe it. Untrained, unprepared. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's just what I believe in. And it's kind of like saying, don't, don't bug me. Don't ask me anything. And if you don't want to believe it, that's okay. It's just me. Totally different from, from the position of, um, there's evidence for this being true. Right. Let me tell you about it. Yeah. Right. Right. And that kind of boldness and that confidence. And you don't get that without the discipleship training. That's right. Awesome conversation here with Panda. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about discipleship training. Hey, this is Dusty Shadow Parker. I just wanted to take a break here and tell y'all, help us reach more men. We cannot sharpen men into the husbands, fathers, and leaders that God designed us to be without your financial support. Your donations enable us to launch and sustain tribes at more churches and reach more men with the gospel of Christ. Men's Alliance is a 501c3 nonprofit so your financial support is tax deductible. Go to mensalliancetribe.com slash support to join our team. Now go refill up your coffee and enjoy the rest of this podcast. All right, we are back with Steve Big Panda. (laughs) And I'm not going to try to say your last name again. I'm I'm always butchering it. Uh, But... We, we have to stop ourselves when we go to these coffee breaks because the conversation yeah. is just still so, so good that it's just flowing while we're, after we stop recording, right? And yeah. we're always like, stop, don't say that. That's too good. <laughs> Let's start recording again. So, yeah. all right, we're back. And um, hopefully you, you listeners have refilled your coffee and, um, and we're just going to press forward with this. I just wanted to ask him, we'll ask you, like, you're obviously, you're smart. So, like, how did you get into like all this history? Have you are you a history teacher? Are you just interested in history? Yeah, about uh, maybe I guess almost twenty years ago now, I read a book by Stephen Mansfield called "More Than Dates and Dead People," mm. and in this book, um, he talks about how history is taught in high school and how it's so dreadful. Right? It's just a bunch of names. It's a bunch of dates really has no bearing yeah. on our lives. And he talks, you know, that's a very secular way to look at history. We're just pressing forward in the dark. There's really no meaning to any of this. It's just things that happen and who knows why they happen. As Christians, we don't believe that. We believe in a sovereign God who is, is working his redemptive purposes throughout history. And so everything that happens is part of his story. Man, I love that. Right. And so we look at history differently as Christians. We we want to know history because we've, we've seen God do things. You know, the, the, the Bible is full of history. And in some ways, many of the books of the Bible are history books. And then we look at Acts and we look at yeah. the work that God's doing. Well, it's still going on. I mean, we're 2000 year, almost 2000 years into this church movement and there has been incredible work by the spirit of God in the lives of very ordinary men, much like the Bible where they're just ordinary men, sinful men that God decides to call and to use. And as Ephesians 2 says, for the work which he prepared before the foundation of the world, he called them to these good works. And we can look back and see how he's done these good works in the lives of men. So that's that's why I like history. Um, 
and, you know, raising kids at the, about 20 years ago, four young kids at home, uh, when we would celebrate holidays, we would really celebrate holidays. St. Patrick's Day seems like an arbitrary holiday, but we would really go all out because we would tell the story of this man. And um, it's funny, I've got kids at college now. Yeah. My youngest son was coming home uh, for St. Patrick's Day holiday. You know, everyone comes home for Easter oh, and Christmas. Yeah. Oh, but I love it. He told <laughs> going friend, home for St. Patty's Day. coming home for St. Patty's Day at home because we, we do it up. You know, we have a party because we're celebrating the life and legacy of a great man. And, um, you know, celebrating uh, Christmas, we didn't talk about Boniface. Uh, well, we talked about Boniface. We didn't talk about his story about the Christmas tree. Mm. Is it okay if we dive into that? Yeah, do it. So, you know, you set up your Christmas tree with the kids every year. Um, I can tell the story about Boniface and hopefully everyone listening when you're setting up the, uh, the Christmas tree this December, if you've, especially if you've got little ones at home, you can tell the story, but the Christmas tree started with Boniface as an, as a evangelist apostle in Germany, ministering to the German Germanic people. Uh, he, they worship their pagans. They worship Thor. They worship trees. Um, Thor has an oak in the forest and Boniface decides he's going to go cut it down. <laughs> so he goes and cuts down Thor's mighty oak in the forest and all the Druids and all the people come and watch. And they are just expecting him to get struck by lightning any minute. You know, he's attacking the central part of their God. And I love um, this. so he cuts it down. Nothing happens. Um, about two days later, a young man comes running into Boniface's camp. Um, the young man's sister is about to be sacrificed uh, to the pagan gods. So the Boniface follows the young man into the woods. Uh, they, they arrive on the scene just as the Druid priest is raising the knife. And Boniface plunges himself between the priest and the, and the young uh, virgin sacrifice. All he's got in his hand is his wooden cross. And as the priest's knife comes down, it sticks right into the cross. And Boniface shoves the priest backwards. He stands up and he preaches the gospel. He says, you don't need to offer these sacrifices anymore. Christ has done it, but you don't need to sacrifice to these trees. Christ made the ultimate sacrifice on a tree, and he takes the knife, and he starts cutting off the, uh, the limbs of these evergreen trees. And he says, take these home, decorate your houses with these trees as a remembrance of what Christ has done for you. So that's where the tradition of the Christmas tree came from. And, you know, this coming, going back to Boniface and, and his, his work in the Germanic as an apostle to Germany. Wow. So, you that's know, we awesome. talk about giving our, our children chests, mm -hmm. these kinds of stories, it's not just a random thing that we're doing, putting up this tree. It's a, it's a memory of Christ's work. And, um, I don't know. It's a, I love it. I love the, the, uh, the symbolism behind stuff that we don't know about. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. The stockings, we won't go into that, but you know, you can, you can look that up and read that. And there, there's cool Christian history lessons behind all of these traditions that we now carry on largely ones that we don't know why we do them, right. right? We just do them. So you mentioned four, four older kids now teaching them this stuff. Um, tell me what got you into wanting to homeschool them in the first place. Yeah, that's really funny. Uh, we are at a church history class of all things. And the guy teaching the class, he talks about St. Augustine and he talks about societal jurisdiction. He talks about the role of the state, the role of the church, and the role of the family. And, you know, my wife and I both went to public school, default mode, we're going to send our kids to public school. And we attend this class and we're learning about societal jurisdiction and the role of the state. And really the, the state has no role in the education of our children. The church 
augments the family, but it's the responsibility of the family to educate our children. And, and, you know, as a, as a, I guess maybe early 20 year old at the time, I'd never heard that before. I look at my wife and I say, we really, uh, we really should homeschool. Uh, in this class, they also talk about St. Augustine's, uh, the trivium, uh, his, his classical Christian education model. Um, and early on, we, uh, we found an awesome classical Christian school here in Richmond. Uh, and my wife, you know, she's the one that's at home with the kids. She's the one that has to do the homeschooling. She wasn't there yet. She wasn't ready. Uh, so we sent our kids to a classical Christian school, our oldest two, for several years. It was an awesome experience. Um, but, you know, any classroom, any organization with a lot of people, a lot of your energy and effort goes into managing the people. The organ- and especially if those people are kindergartners through third, fourth grade. I mean, there's chaos that you have to manage. So a lot of the energy was going into that, not as much into school. So they were coming home with a lot of homework. Um, and one day my wife just looked at me and said, I think I can do this better at home mm. um, because I'm going to be dedicated to just teaching them, uh, to not taking any, anything away from the school because the school is awesome and needed. But it was just one of those things where I think I can, I can get, do this more efficiently because yep. uh, nobody is in, as invested as my kids as I am. So right. I'm going to insource this task. I'm going to do it myself. And we always said, okay, well, we're going to do this one year at a time. And uh, gosh, I guess it's 18 years later. Um, our last one is, is homeschooling now. And uh, it's just been such a blessing. Just the, uh, I call it the conveyor belt, you know, the default go to school for this many years, go to college for four years. Um, the freedom and flexibility of homeschooling means you can do things more creatively, more efficiently. Uh, my oldest son graduated from college with his bachelor's degree at 19 years old, uh, was working full-time in IT at 19. And that wouldn't have been possible. Holy smokes. Without the homeschooling and the opportunity for dual enrollment and those types of things. So it just really opens a lot of doors and thankful that we had that opportunity. Wow. You know, um, it's so interesting how you've, you've, said this this wasn't our intended direction and it just naturally went there and i think it's so important i think god's put this on your heart to share um we've had several recent podcasts about this with ryan harder um, of the school board and um and i shared my story about pulling my son out of public school and putting him in homeschool and we are like not your homeschool family right we always thought like man we could never be a homeschool family I always envied the homeschool families, but I'm like, man, you got to have like a huge, you got to have a 15 passenger van and like make your own bread and give your own haircuts. And like, man, we're just not there. Make your own clothes. And we like put one foot into that world. And, and that was like three and a half years ago. And we're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And then, you know, shadow, we and you have talked a lot about this, but the most important thing that I'm hearing you talk about is from our podcast 128 about don't outsource this. And that's where I was talking about uh, the spiritual development, the spiritual growth of our kids is our most important jobs on this planet is raising our kids in the the nurture and admonition of, of God. And how many times do we outsource that? Now in that podcast, I was mostly talking about people outsourcing to the church, but what you're saying is absolutely true. People, outsourced to the schools. Yeah. yeah. Right. So if we're going to, if we're going to take back that control from the church and say, you know what, I'm not just going to drop my kid off at church and then expect them to train them. I, that's my job. 
right? I'm responsible. I should do the same thing for school. I'm not just going to drop them off and say, teach them. It's like, no, 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 you're the parents. Now you can use the church and the school to help you, to augment you. But ultimately, we're the ones responsible as the dads. And I, and I think it's both. I mean, when you talk about the spiritual growth, imagine a secular authority having um, influence over your child's mind for how many hours a day do they go? I mean, gosh, yeah. uh, eight hours a yeah. day of wakeful instruction that God is not in any of this. Yeah, God is in your Sunday stuff that you do, but he's not in real life, your normal day-to-day life. Um, he's not in math. He's not in science. He's not in history. Well, okay. So he's in this little compartment that I call church on Sunday or yeah, one hour a week. I mean, yeah, we we can't as parents to be in everything. Right. And we can't combat that influence. All those hours that they're being taught secular beliefs in the few hours that we have with them. It's just the math just, uh, really leans to the secular side and it, and, and we see that. And I think a lot of the encroachment of paganism in our culture is because the church has abdicated. I'm not, not we as the body of Christ, the Christians that make up the church, we have abdicated our responsibility to educate our children. We have ceded that responsibility to the state. And we're seeing the fruit of that now because what used to be a very rich Christian culture has drifted away. And it's, it's, it's us. Yeah. We, we did not raise disciples in our homes. We, for years, have outsourced that to the state. And the state did not raise Christians. I thought it was funny when you said, because I had the same conversation, when uh, you sat down with your wife and said, we need to homeschool our kids. What <laughs> you really mean is you need to homeschool our kids. Right. Well, so we're it not, goes both we're ways, you know, yet. like yeah. when the wife says, you know, we need to, uh, I know, right. we need to paint this room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we're not quite there yet either. So we're, we're actually, uh, our son will be going to Christian school this coming, this coming year. And eventually maybe hopefully we'll be able to do the co-op thing. That's how, what I see. But like, like you said, we're just taking it year by year. Yeah, You're you making know. a big step this year. Yeah. Big yeah. step. Taking them big out step. of a public school. Yep. And Huge. starting them in the fall. Yeah. Christian school. Yeah. And you so. know, for, for a couple decades now, I've been advocating for homeschooling as a defensive strategy. Yeah. When we talk about Boniface, when we talk about Charlemagne, Charlemagne, I think we need to go on an offensive strategy. Right. And that would be, we should be thinking about planting classical Christian schools as an alternative to the secular schools and these need to be open to people that aren't ready to homeschool or that are never going to homeschool, but there's an alternative. And I think that's, that should be a focus. So I really think getting on the offensive is something that, that we as, as believers need to be focused on. Yeah. And you talk about, you know, there's people that pull their kids out of, out of a public school because they want to protect their kids. Right. And you think this is like a total defensive, like, Oh, my kid's fragile and I don't want them being exposed to this. And I'm going to, pull them over here into the safe harbor to protect them. And I understand that mentality. Yeah. And that there's nothing wrong with that, but we should add to that mentality of preparing them to be warriors. Yeah. Right. You're not just protecting them from the world. The world's they're, they're going to encounter the world. Yeah. Guaranteed. You're, you're pulling them aside to train them. That's right. Right. To go into the world as disciples. So I wanted to back up and say this. So at the beginning of this podcast, we talked a little bit about the Great Commission, and you you uh, stated it. Um, but just for people that um, maybe haven't haven't heard that term, 
what we're what we're talking about here is found in the book of Matthew chapter 28. And this is after Jesus has died and been resurrected and is on earth in his in his glorified resurrected body and he's he's teaching and he's still walking and talking and he's eating, right? It was a it was a physical body. It still had uh, the nail holes in it and he built a fire and cooked fish and he did these things. So it wasn't, he wasn't like a ghost. Um, and he gives this charge to his, to his followers that has become known as the great commission. So I just wanted to read this. This is Matthew 28. Um, it says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we kind of started this whole thing talking about that charge is go and make disciples. And as you're talking, my thought has gone towards who are you who are you going to go to and make a disciple? first yeah first you're gonna start in under your own roof that's right right and so we get this kind of like image in our head i know like i did like growing up here and this always pictured you know like missionaries that were like friends of our families that were in jungles right right? that's where you go you go to you go to bolivia or gabon right and and from hearing you talk i'm like no 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 this starts right here under our own roof that's right it starts with our kids. They ought to be um, offensive warriors for Christ, yeah. disciples. So, yeah, one of the schools, the one of the reason, the main reasons why we chose uh, the Christian school we did is that they have a huge emphasis. They put a huge emphasis on apologetics in all of their subjects. So, I thought I thought that was pretty cool. So, to know that they'll be reinforcing what we're teaching at home. That's so yeah. good. Yeah. And I was raised homeschooled, so I know what that can look like. Every every family does homeschooling different. So you know how to bake your own bread. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I know how to make my own skirts <laughs> and squirts oh, is what we wore back then. Yeah. So, but yeah, and I was, you know, I think some people think homeschooling's not real school, you know. But I was able to join the military. I was able to go to college after the military, so it didn't give me any limitations whatsoever. I think things have shifted so f- quickly in our in our country, yeah, yeah. Uh, especially with the education system uh, that nobody thinks that anymore. Right. I feel like that was like something pe- we thought like maybe in the eighties and nineties, yeah. and then by twenty twenty, yeah, it definitely has. Now everybody, I think acceptable. it's I think it's yeah. flipped. Yeah. Right. And now you're like, oh, they're homeschool. Okay. So they actually got an education. Yeah, right. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So they were actually taught things and not just. Uh, indoctrinated right. yeah right i know that's how it's flipped in uh in my mind and a lot of others yeah uh one of the things we had talked about panda was um we were talking a little bit about end times and the direction that you know the bible tells us the earth is going share us a little about that yeah i think uh you know we don't know when when jesus is going to return um one of the the best things i ever heard somebody say was live like Christ is coming back tomorrow. Right. Build like he's not coming back for another thousand years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when we talk about things getting worse, I've seen 
too many men just feel, say things like, well, this is how it's going to go. Um, we know that things are going to get worse and then Christ's going to return. So, you know, it's almost like this defeatist attitude. Yeah. Yeah. And just imagine if Boniface had that attitude, like, Hey, things are dark or, or, you know, the Roman empire just fell, I guess Christ is coming back. Let's just, let me take that comfortable job and just mm-hmm. wait it out. And for his return, things would look very different. And so we don't know. Um, it could be Christ could return tomorrow. Uh, it could be another thousand years. So how are we building like, and leaving that legacy? Like it might be a little bit more time than it, than it feels like to, to many of us. We see things yeah. getting darker. I guarantee you being a Protestant in America in 2023 is a lot better than being a Christian in the year 63 when yeah. they were being persecuted, martyred. Um, and you know, things have been dark in the church before way darker than even they are now. So I think it's time for us to, uh, to take an, an active position and a proactive position of we're building for a thousand years. There was a school in, um, in England, uh, it's called new Oxford college. And when I talk about building for something you, you may not see, you know, building for something 700 years from now and laying, laying that legacy and foundation, this school had a massive, beautiful dining hall with these, with these oak beams going across the top. And several years ago, um, they discovered that these beams were rotten. These oak beams were rotting out and there were beetles in the beams and they needed to be replaced. Um, they looked everywhere within the country. Uh, in England, they said, where can we find oaks big enough to replace these beams? They couldn't find them. They looked all throughout Europe. Does anybody, can we find oaks big enough? And they couldn't find them. They did a worldwide search. Who has trees, you know, ready to go that we can replace these oak beams with? No one in the world, none of the companies they reached out to could source these beams. One day a janitor was in the basement and he found the blueprints for the, for the college. And as he's looking through the blueprints, he, he rushes up to the dean's office and he lays the blueprints down. And the dean looks at the blueprints and then he looks up and he sees a grove of oaks. And on the blue, blueprints, there's a little asterisk that says, in about 700 years, these beams will rot. And we've accounted for that. These oaks that we're planting will be there. So don't touch them because they're there to replace these beams. Wow. Wow. So you think about just thinking ahead and do we do that today? Do we build thinking 700 years from now, what's going to be here and leave that preparation, that legacy for our children's children's children to, uh, to have that in place, that structure, that foundation, those plantings, uh, thinking that far ahead. So they didn't cut down the beams to extend an addition on the, <laughs> on the college. <laughs> you know, that is, that, that is just, risky. That, that's so great. I love that example. Um, planting the oaks now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Thinking far enough ahead that we're, we're not just building, right. A, um, you know, a building with our, with our lives, with our teaching, we're, we're doing it and we're also planting the oaks That's right. Uh, for the next one. I think that's a great example of what we do every single time we, we teach our kids, right. How to give the gospel, how to answer questions, uh, what do you believe? Why do you believe it? And and without a doubt, everything we do in the in the men's alliance, um, coin program and patch program are designed to plant some oaks, right? Like yeah. 
we might not ever see some of the fruit from this stuff, right? But I would like to I would like to believe that some of these men that earn their patch are going to be able to shepherd their families better, be able to guide their kids better, right? Be able to instill the Christian faith in their kids so that their kids are able to do the same, right? And that's what we want to keep doing. I think that's the the most important thing we're doing is following the Great Commission. Like we started off saying, we are not the entertainment. We're not the production. We're not the seminar, the conference. Right. We're the discipleship training. And connecting that back to the Great Commission is just such a powerful thought, whether it's under our own roof with our kids or around the fire with Men's Alliance. Um, and I just really appreciate you being on the podcast today. Uh, you've motivated me. You've encouraged me, fired me up um, with your awesome knowledge of history. And pa- Patrick and Boniface, uh, Charles Martel, Charlemagne, uh, just fantastic. Um, I love that story about the uh, the Christmas tree and cutting yeah, down Thor's awesome. oak. Yeah. 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 Me too. It's been, uh, we were, when the kids were little, we would tell that every year and they would just light up and, uh, yeah, they're definitely worth Googling, reading more about Boniface and and the whole story. And, um, it's a good thing to share. Boniface, the the hammer, right? Uh, Charles Martel, Charles, the hammer. Oh, Charles, Charles Martel is the hammer. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, fantastic stuff, guys. Um, appreciate you coming down. Um, really excited to see how God is going to continue using you now in this new endeavor that you're you're launching in on um with with hope church and and your role in men's alliance we're thankful that god intersected our paths and um man if you haven't already signed up for a patch class uh go do so right now go to our website click on tribe info and sign up for the next patch class Uh, we're offering them now in virginia and north carolina and we will be offering them next year in Pennsylvania as well. That's our plan, at least. And we're trusting that God's going to honor that plan as we keep moving forward and keep discipling men to be better ambassadors for him. Guys, get out there, lead, go for your coin, go for your patch. We say it all the time. We're not a workout group or a Bible study. We're a tribe. And I look forward to seeing you guys around the fire. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Men's Alliance podcast. Find your tribe at mensalliancetribe.com, or maybe you're the man to start one in your area. And send us your questions or comments to info at mensalliancetribe.com. We'd love to hear from you, and we look forward to seeing you around the fire soon.